we, you hear me? Before we even start, I'm going to warn you that I'm actually, I'm going to ask you this morning, maybe there's a very remote chance to participate with me in something that could be epic. My youngest daughter is in basic training, and she's got to call home one time in almost, I don't know, eight weeks, and she's supposed to call her mother later, but there's a statistical probability that her mother won't answer her cell phone. Uh, <laughs> and if she does, and I actually, I've never done this, I have my phone in my pocket, and so she calls me because she can't get her mother. She has a 10-minute window. I'm just going to answer and then count to three, and if you guys would just yell, hi, mercy. And then I'll tell her I'm in the middle of a sermon, got to go. Okay? With all of that said, I didn't want you to think I was rude. Answer my phone. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, we're looking at Exodus chapter 19 this morning as we start the Ten Commandments, uh, verses 1 through, I'm going to read 1 through 8. You should have that either in your order of worship or if you have a Bible or you can use your phone or anything else. So I say to you, hear the word of God. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called out to him on the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we begin uh, this new series on the Ten Commandments that you would, um, you would just bless our time, that you would give us uh, an understanding of the Ten Commandments as they pertain to our lives, as they pertain to our mission, as they pertain to gospel. Help us to see the person and work of Jesus more clearly. Um, ultimately, help us to see what our persons and work should look like as a result as well. So I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I also pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart, and in my understanding. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. You know, about 10 years ago, when I, I wasn't the pastor yet, I'd come on staff, and then all the other pastors resigned, and everyone turned and looked at me and said, what do we do? And I said, I don't know. And I still say that quite a bit. During that time, someone came up and offered quite a bit of money because they wanted to post the Ten Commandments in front of our church. And I remember the discussions that went back and forth. I think the session ultimately discussed it. We decided that it probably wasn't a good idea. But ever since then, I thought, you know, I need to preach on the Ten Commandments. Now, it's only taken me about 10 years. So we'll see how it works out. I've been thinking about it for quite a while. The Ten Commandments is sort of one of those uh, things, like at least for Presbyterian pastors, they're, they're at least three books that you approach with apprehension. One is Revelation. We did that. And then the other is the Book of Romans, which we haven't done yet. And then also the Ten Commandments. And so we're checking off two of the three with this series. And it's interesting because thinking about the reasons that someone wanted to put the Ten Commandments in front of our church, you'd, you could start to think, why do people put the Ten Commandments anywhere? 
The United States, the Western Church, we have a, a strange relationship with the Ten Commandments, to be honest with you. So I'm going to give you two different perspectives. So on one hand, um, I looked up, there's in 2014, some atheists, they were tired of the Ten Commandments, and so they've held a contest, and you know they got 2,800 entries, and then some reasonable people, people got together, and they chose what they thought would be the most reasonable commandments for humanity. So you have some people who think that we should replace the Ten Commandments from the Bible, and they replaced them with, you know, number one, be open-minded and willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. Number two, strive to understand. Uh, number three, scientific method is the most reliable way of understanding, blah, blah, every person has a right to control their body, etc., etc., etc. You know, they, they go on like that. On, on one hand. On the other hand, you have James Madison, who wrote most of our Constitution. So listen to what Madison says. Madison says, we have staked our whole future, the, the whole future of our new nation, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political constitutions upon the capacity of each of ourselves to govern ourselves according to the moral principles of the Ten Commandments. So James Madison said that we wrote our constitution with, the, with, the under, with, the, with in mind the fact that people are able to govern themselves according to the Ten Commandments. Well, that didn't work out very well, so you have to have a bunch of laws now. The only reason you have laws is because people really don't do a great job of governing themselves according to the Ten Commandments. Now, what's most interesting, I think, in all of that is uh, Gallup did a poll a couple years ago on, on the Ten Commandments, and the best that they could muster up was that 49% of Protestants are able to recite four of the commandments. Think about that. Half of, half of the people who go to Protestant churches can recite at least four of the commandments, and that was the best. At least it's better than Catholic, right? They only have 44, but nonetheless. So we have all these discussions about the Ten Commandments on one hand. On the other hand, uh, most people can't even name them. I'm not going to ask you right now, but ask your, later, ask yourself, can I name the Ten Commandments? In fact, I, gave, you know, I, I put together study questions for small groups, and we printed out a lot of them this week, and I'd encourage you to take them maybe for your devotional time and that kind of stuff. And the first question is there on there is, without peeking, can you name the Ten Commandments? My guess is, is that after this series, you'll be able to. In fact, my guess is after this series, you'll be able to sing them in your sleep. But that's a good thing. You see, when you're talking about the Ten Commandments, I think what everyone misses is everyone wants to use them for their own reasons, right? Some people say we need to post them to show people where we stand. Other people say that we need to put them in the courthouses so people can know where our laws came from. What very few people ask when you talk about the Ten Commandments is this question. What is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? In other words, why did God give the Ten Commandments in the first place? Is it just random? I mean, is it, is it so that we can govern ourselves according to moral principles? Is it so that we can please him? Is it so that we know how we're doing? Why did he give them? And the answer to the question why or what purpose actually is better started with the question of when. In other words, if you understand when God gave the Ten Commandments, you actually, it takes you a long way of understanding why he gave the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to ask you maybe some rhetorical questions. So, for example, why didn't he give the commandments to Adam and Eve? He could have. God could have done anything. He could have actually put Adam and Eve in the garden, and everything was cool, and he could have said, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and just so you don't forget, I'm going to put these stone tablets with the rules written out for you right there. So anytime you think about touching the tree, you can just read the tablets and you won't bother. He didn't do it that way. In fact, Adam and Eve, when they broke the, the 
when they ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they broke almost all ten of the commands, some way, shape, or form. Why didn't he give them the Ten Commandments after they broke, after they sinned against him? You know, Adam and Eve, I'm kicking you out of the garden, but just so you know how badly you screwed up, I'm going to post these ten things right outside the door. So anytime you think about coming in, you realize how, how much you missed the mark. He didn't do that. How about Noah? Why didn't he give the Ten Commandments to Noah? I mean, if you think about it, Genesis 6 talks about the fact that God looked down upon humanity and he was sorry that he had made them because every thought of their heart was only sinful all the time. That's pretty bad. Why didn't he say, Noah, you know what? We're going to fix all this sinful humanity. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you these Ten Commandments and if you just post them in different places, things won't be as bad as they are right now. Do you think that would have worked? In my experience, it would actually probably exacerbated things. Then, of course, a flood happened, and all judgment happened, and why didn't he give Noah the Ten Commandments after? He could have said, Noah, all right, we, we smote all the sinners, and now, so you don't screw things up, here's the Ten Commandments. Do you ever ask yourself that? Why didn't he do that? How about with Abraham? Abraham, I'm calling you to be a blessing to the world, and just so you don't mess it up, here's the Ten Commandments. He didn't do that. Even Joshua, you would think. Remember, God delivered Israel, and he delivered them into the Promised Land, why didn't he wait until they were in the promised land and say, okay, now that you're here and now that you're settled in, here's what you need to do. Here's how you should live. I mean, if you think about it, like the very worst time for me to ask my wife something, to either ask her a question or ask something of her, is when she is rushing out of the house maybe to go to school in the morning. If I want to be sure that she doesn't hear me or, or do like I ask her or, or anything, I just wait until she's on the move. And yet... For some reason, God doesn't, doesn't give the Ten Commandments uh, to Abraham. He doesn't give them to Joshua. Who does he give them to? But he gives them to Moses and Israel. And he gives them to them immediately after he has delivered them from Egyptian bondage. So he's delivered them from bondage. And then the very first thing he does is give them the Ten Commandments. Is that an important fact to keep in mind? I'm going to say absolutely. So this morning, as we consider uh, the purpose of the Ten Commandments, we're going to look at three things. First thing, we're going to look at um, our deliverance. The second thing we're going to look at is our calling. And the third thing we're going to look at is our mission. And notice I've said our deliverance, our calling, and our mission, not Israel's deliverance, Israel's calling, and Israel's mission. That's, we're going to talk about that on one hand. On the other hand, the whole point of this series is to, to hopefully show and see that the Ten Commandments are actually relevant for us today. I mean, the fact that we sing them, you should get some idea that that's where we're going with this. But nonetheless, first thing, let's look at our deliverance. Let me read to you the first few verses here. It says, On the third day after the new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain, thus saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. Okay, before we look at verse 4, which is really sort of where, where our deliverance is found, um, just by way of explaining things, um, because it made me, I always felt bad for Moses. See, on one hand, in, in Exodus chapter 3, he has this, this encounter with God at Sinai, and he promises that someday you will bring my people here and they will worship me at this mountain. And then it says Moses gets there and he has to go up the mountain and down the mountain and up the mountain and down the mountain. And I, after the backpacking trip I went on, I was like, mm-mm. Who wants to be Moses? But then I thought, I wonder how big Sinai is. And I realized that in the, 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 the Middle Eastern description of mountains is the same way that people in Georgia describe mountains. 
In other words, if you, if you said we're going to the mountains in Georgia, we, we would consider that to be hills, maybe. And yet, Mount Sinai, if you think about it, it's, it's 7,500 feet above sea level. That's not bad. That's half of what Mount Rainier is. But, but the topographical prominence, I learned that this week, is only 1,000 feet. In other words, it's 7,500 feet above sea level, but from where you're standing to where you can see the top, it's only 1,000 feet. That's not very bad on one hand. On the other hand, it actually makes the idea of God coming down on that mountain much more scary. In other words, you can almost perceive, you look up at Mount Rainier and see the clouds and say, wow, I'm 15,000 feet away from all that. It's no big deal. Imagine if you were like right there. That's what happens here. That God is actually coming, he's delivered them, it's the third day, he's speaking to Moses, but ultimately when God speaks the Ten Commandments, he is, will speak directly to Israel. And it's the only time that God speaks to all of Israel, and when he speaks to all of Israel at the same time, he speaks the Ten Commandments. And my guess is it's because he doesn't want anyone to mistake what he's saying. And he doesn't want anyone to say, Moses, I bet Moses is making that up. There's no doubt after the giving of the Ten Commandments who spoke them and what they're for. So when you look at verse 4, he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So notice the primary pronoun in that verse is the word I. Who delivered Israel, Israel from Egypt? God says, I did. I delivered you from Egypt. He says, remember what I did when you were in Egypt. They were in bondage and in slavery in Egypt without any help, without any hope, and they cried out, and God heard them. And God decided in his grace, in his mercy, to deliver them. And he says, remember what I did. Remember, you were in bondage, and you had no hope whatsoever, and I actually came in with ten plagues. I sent Moses and Aaron. They brought the plagues with them. The rivers turned to blood. The, the, the people were covered with boils. The firstborn were dead. I killed them in order for you to be delivered and the whole Passover thing. And then when you were being delivered from your bondage, uh, you plundered them. They gave you their silver and gold and they chased after you in the wilderness. And right when they were, you were going through the Red Sea on dry land, I whisked the, the, my uh, power away and the sea came and drowned all of Pharaoh's men. He says, I did that. You didn't do that. In other words, when you read the Ten Commandments, you never say, okay, here's the Ten Commandments. Now, if you guys can just get all this stuff squared away, I will deliver you. If you just act right, if you do right, if you're moral, then I'll deliver you from Egypt. What he says here is remember what I did when you, before anything. When you were helpless and hopeless and slaves, I delivered you. And then he says, the next he says, and how I bore you on eagles' wings. You see, in the Old Testament, eagles are seen as two things, really. They're seen as being extremely fierce on one hand, but also they're seen as the protectors of the weak, interestingly enough. And it reminded me, I couldn't help but thinking of if you've ever read The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Man, when do the eagles come in? They come in to rescue the, the helpless, and they're incredibly fierce. So, so the eagles in The Lord of the Rings are always for the weak and the poor, and they are always against the orcs, and orcs are afraid of them. And God says, I bore you on eagle's wings. Remember, I snatched you from Egypt, and I brought you to this place to myself. And it was, I, I took you from your bondage and brought you into a relationship with myself. That is the starting point for understanding the purpose of the Ten Commandments. And if you're a Christian, it's the same starting point. Or if you're not a Christian, it needs to be the starting point. In other words, the starting point for Christians understanding the Ten Commandments is that you and I were slaves and in bondage to our sin. 
And there was absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. And God sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus lives the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He completely obeys the covenant, completely obeys the law, does what Israel failed to do and Adam failed to do and what you and I failed to do. And then he rises from the dead after his crucifixion. That God credits him with our sin and credits us with his goodness. And it's all because of his grace and because of his mercy. Remember, we looked at the book of Acts, and a lot of the controversy in the whole book of Acts revolves around, is there anything else that needs to be added to the gospel of Jesus in order for us to be saved? Some people said circumcision or works of the law. And remember, the church decided, no, 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 no. There's nothing besides trusting in Jesus in order to be delivered from your sin. And that's the starting point for understanding your relationship with the Ten Commandments. You see, I don't know how, how you personally tend to use them, but I think a lot of us, just, we sort of set them on the shelf because we're not sure what to do with them. If you remember your deliverance, you're on the way to understanding. So the first thing you understand is our deliverance. The second thing is our calling. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So he starts by saying, I did all these things. And now he actually invites them to participate in something that he is doing. In other words, being saved is completely and utterly by grace, being delivered from Egypt. But now, as they are going to live in the world, as people who are delivered, he says, I want you to partner with me in something. That's different than saying, now that that I've delivered you, I just want you to do these things. He's not saying that. He says, now that you've been delivered, you, I want to partner with you in something. I want to be in covenant with you in something. Now, interestingly enough, when the Bible talks about covenants, especially between God and humans, they're always unilateral. In other words, God says, here's what I'm asking of you, and you can either accept it or deny it, but whether or not you participate is, is not the question. And so he says, if you obey my voice, and if you keep my covenant, he says, then... You shall be my treasure possession for among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And so what is their calling? He's saying, I delivered you for a purpose. Have you ever asked yourself that question? If you're a Christian, have you asked yourself that question? Okay, Jesus saved me from my sins, but did he save me for any particular reason? In other words, is there any end to this? Does he want me to do anything now? And the answer for Israel was yes. God says, I've chosen you. If you obey my covenant and listen to my voice, then you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples in all the world. They will be a goy among the goyim. They will be one nation among the rest of the nations that is God's chosen possession. And that word treasured possession, it basically means treasure that a king would keep aside for a special purpose. And what is that purpose? The purpose that, to which he is calling them is to participate with him in the redemption of all humanity and the renewal of all creation what he says there he says you will be a treasure possession among all the peoples and all the world is mine in other words if you read the bible there's basically a principle that says this however man or humanity goes so goes all creation and if and if humanity falls into sin and curse then creation falls into sin and curse but if humanity is redeemed from the curse and renewed then creation is redeemed from the curse and renewed and god is saying to israel you i want you to participate with me in this that all nations and ultimately the whole world will be renewed by, by, by virtue of our partnership. Now, that wouldn't have been new to Israel, by the way. Remember when God first called Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'm calling you, why? To be a blessing to all the families of the earth. 
that God's plan has always been to, to, choose, to, to, to choose very particular people in order to bless all people. And so even with Abraham, he said basically, I'm calling you to be a blessing to all peoples. He called Israel to be a blessing to all nations. And why do you, what do you think our calling is? That God delivered us also for a reason. He's given us a calling, and the calling is that we might participate with him in the redemption of humanity and the renewal of all of creation. That's a pretty big calling, is it not? Is that how you view yourself as a Christian? Honestly, if you're like me, you start going through the motions a lot of times. You go to work, and you come home, and you watch the news, and you watch a little bit of TV, maybe you read a book, and then you go to bed, and you lather, rinse, and repeat the next day. And yet, the original call to Israel is the same as the call to us, which God is calling us to participate in the redemption of all humanity and the redemption of all the world. That's our calling. Now, the question is, how do we do that? He says in the next verse, he tells them how he expects them to do that. And notice what he says in verse 6. Instead of, having, instead of speaking of himself or speaking of you, he says, here's what I want you to be. He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now notice in verse 8, it says after he says all these things, all the people answered together and said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now we often laugh at them and say, ha, 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 they agreed and they didn't even know what they were talking about. You know, in the ancient Near East, this is just a formula. When a, when a big king who could kill you says, here's how it's going to be, the best answer to give him is, whatever you say goes. And that's what they say. But notice what he's asking them to be. Not do, what he's asking them to be. He's asking them to be, first of all, a kingdom of priests. Now that's pretty odd, because Israel didn't even have uh, priests yet. At least not formal ordained ones. He says, you're to be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Well, priests mediate between God and man, and priests tell the story of God's redemption. In other words, priests mediate and priests tell the story. Priests mediate and priests teach the law. I love Deuteronomy chapter 6. Basically, it says when your children ask you, why do we have to obey all these laws? You know what the answer is? Tell them the story. When your children come and say, you know, why, what, why do we have all these laws? The very first thing out of your mouth, at least in Deuteronomy, is we were slaves once in Egypt. And then tell the story of deliverance. What priests do is they mediate God's law, and then when people question the law, they tell the story. And what he says of Israel is all Israel, all of you are responsible now for the telling of this story and for the mediating of my law to the nations and the mediating of my presence to the nations. I mean, if you think about it, when we look at the Ten Commandments, what you're going to see is the Ten Commandments really just are, are a description of the character of God. And so when you mediate the character, the Ten Commandments to the nations, you're actually mediating the character of God. Ultimately, you're mediating the character of Jesus. But there's even more than that, because we're not just to mediate and we're not just to tell. We're actually supposed to live it. You see, he tells them to be a holy nation. And as a holy nation, they're to model they're actually to model the character of God in the story and to live out the story. In other words, it's one thing to, tell, to, to preach the gospel, to preach about Jesus, or to preach the Ten Commandments. It's another thing to actually live them. And he says, your responsibility before the nations is to both tell the story and to live the story. And living the story is just as important as telling the story. In fact, you wonder, does this have any application to us? If you read the book of First Peter... The answer is absolutely. When Peter's describing to, to the church back in the day what their mission is, he actually uses this text. 
to say, here's what your mission is. And ultimately, if you think about it, when, how do the Ten Commandments relate to this? God has told them, you're to be a holy, you're to be a, a priesthood, a holy priesthood, you're to be a, a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. What's the first question that would come to your mind? How are we supposed to do this? What are we supposed to do? And it's pretty instructive that the very first thing God would say after he says you're to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation is he would give them the Ten Commandments. You want to know how to engage mission? Ten Commandments. You want to know how to tell the story? The Ten Commandments. You want to know how to live out before the world, the gospel? The Ten Commandments. Let me read to you First Peter. This is exactly what Peter says, I think. In verse, starting in chapter 2, verse 9, Peter tells the church, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter says on one hand, because of who you are, because you're a holy nation, because you're a priesthood, because you're a people for his own possession, you are to, to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. In other words, as a church, any church, but all church, as Christians, we are called to actually be on mission of telling the world the excellencies of Jesus. But Peter takes it a step further because you say, well, where do the Ten Commandments come in here? And in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, he's saying, people, even if people won't listen to you, to what you say, even if people speak poorly about you, live in such a way that at the end of the day, they're ultimately going to come to, to the right conclusion because they've seen your deeds and they glorify God because of them. Where do we get those from? Well, that ultimately is going to be the outworking of the Ten Commandments. You see, I think most of the, the, the problem that we have, a lot of the problem we have with the Ten Commandments, I mean, you know, this past week was very sad, right? You saw celebrities being uh, sort of outed, celebrity Christians. And, of course, whenever you see a celebrity Christian who's outed for something like adultery or this or that or the other thing, the world just piles on. And I think celebrity Christians and non-celebrity Christians, part of that becomes because we have a poor view of the Ten Commandments, a low view of the Ten Commandments. And what I mean by that is that the purpose of the Ten Commandments is this. I waited to the end to give it to you. The, the suspense was killing you, I could tell. Right? The, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is this. It's basically to preserve and equip God's people in their mission to bless the nations. Now think about it. it, it it's one thing to... to commit adultery or to lie or to cheat or to do something else and wonder if God likes this or I'm going to get caught. It's another thing to say, being faithful is actually part of my witness to the world. Being truthful is part of my witness to the world. Having, having appropriate you know, Sabbath practice is part of my witness to the world. And if you think about it, we see that all the time. Like, have you ever, it's happened to me a few times since we, you know, we've been in Washington for 17 or 18 years. And, you know, when you go to a cashier and you give her like $10 for, you know, a $2 item and she accidentally gives you a 50 back or a 20, I've had that happen. And then you come back 15 minutes later and, and say, hey, you, you gave me too much. Well, they, they start crying, right? You just did. Well, that's, that's the kind of thing. That isn't the gospel to them, but that actually gets people's attention. Are we living out the Ten Commandments? They're going to show us. The other way to look at the Ten Commandments, and I'll end with this, is, you know, this past week I got a new keyboard for my iPad. 
And if you, ever, if you ever get a new computer, a new keyboard, a new iPad, a new anything, you open it up and there's, generally speaking, two, two documents in there, correct? Lisa was in this keyboard. One document is very thin and it says quick start or start here. And the other one is very thick, right? And it says, you know, a procedural manual for the Microsoft key- keyboard, you know, model XYZ something or other. Very thick. Which one do you think I read this weekend? I read the thin one. I read the start here because I knew if I could master the start here, I'd pretty much be good to go with the rest of my days as far as his keyboard goes. And so when you consider the law of God, what God does, the Ten Commandments, literally the order he's given them are a sort of start here. You want to know what it means to live out the gospel. You want to know what it means to to live on purpose and according to mission and use the Ten Commandments uh, for the fulfillment of your mission. Start here. The rest of the law is very complicated and it's very long and a lot of Christians may never get around to reading it. There's good things you can get from there. But if nothing else, start here and you're going to be good to go. So that's what we're doing next week. We're going to have two. There's, this sermon was introductory. Next week will also be introductory. Next week we'll look at the three different, three different ways which we can use the law to accomplish the purpose that God's actually given it for. So think about that. Let me pray for us, and we will continue next week. Father, I just thank you for, for giving us your law. Who, who ever thought I would say that, right? I didn't. And yet, as I consider your law, I'm actually thankful that you've given it to preserve, and you've given it to equip us, and you've actually given it to us for a reason, that we might participate with you in the redemption of all the creation. That is amazing. And so I pray that as we continue throughout this uh, series, that you would give us a vision, not just for obeying your law, but that you give us a, a vision for living your law out in such a way that the world is transformed because of it. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen and amen.